Alaska's indigenous peoples have been living, playing, and thriving in Alaska for thousands of years. However, outdoor recreation and tourism are generally perceived as being primarily a white person's game. Many people are trying to change that by encouraging, many times by example, people of color to venture outdoors. Dirty Potts Joseph is Han Gwichin, who grew up in Eagle Village. She's a dog musher, traditional tattoo artist, an Ironman athlete, a wilderness guide, founded Native Youth Outdoors, and is a North Face Explorer Fund Council member, all while living in rural Alaska and Fairbanks. On this Outdoor Explorer, we talk with Jody about her life and efforts to diversify the outdoors. Jody joined us via Zoom, so bear with us through the inevitable drops and delays and connection at the beginning of the interview. Welcome back to Outdoor Explorer. I'm your host, Paul Torda. I am uh, very excited to have Jody Pot uh, Joseph in uh, with us today via Zoom. Uh, welcome to the show, Jody. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Jody, we have so much to talk about, um, but let's start with y- your story a little bit. Tell us about yourself and uh, how, where you're from and your background. Okay, thank you. So, as uh, Paul introduced me, my name and I'm originally from Eagle Village, Alaska. Um, my roots um, there kind of go back millennia, as my mom is indigenous to that land, and um, and I uh, have family from that whole uh, Yukon River area um, between Canada and Alaska. Um, as uh, our people have lived there for thousands of years. And I grew up on that land and doing a lot of, um, you know, subsistence way of life um, was like basically every day for our family. So I grew up on the land, um, in a canoe, on snowshoes, you know, in a dog sled. Um, And so being a part of the land um, in, also, I think just, um, you know, our traditional way of life is very much a part of who I am and the connection that I have to the land in that place um, is just in my blood. Um, but, you know, I think also, <coughs> excuse me, I think also um, being raised that way is just where I'm my most comfortable, my happiest, my healthiest, and you know, where I really have a connection. Um, and so uh, fast forward, you know, I've always kind of, um, just cause I loved being outside. That's how I was raised. You know, as I uh, move forward through high school and adulthood, I just found myself really enjoying besides being on the land as an indigenous person, you know, in an indigenous way of being in subsistence activities or being on the land in a traditional means um, to enjoy outdoor recreation kind of as a hobby. Um, And so 
you know, that's just kind of how I've moved a lot in this world is both, um, you know, as a native person, um, being on the land and having that appreciation for a traditional way of life in our indigenous culture, but also as a native person enjoying outdoor recreation. You know, I've lived around the world and I've done, I guess, quite a few, <coughs> excuse me, um, quite a few, I guess, really cool and fun adventures around the world and um, just definitely blessed and thankful to be back home in Alaska and sharing my love of the outdoors with others. Uh, great, thanks, Jordi. You're... Uh, how how did you tell us that journey a little bit? Like, like at some point, um, you you left and explored the world. What what motivated that? Like how how did that happen for you? Mm -hmm. uh, that's a great question. Um, so, you know, growing up, um, my family, I guess you could say, was pretty adventurous, and my dad would always be looking at maps with um, my uncles and other guys in the village, and they would be kind of planning their next place that they would go trap or, you know, where there were, you know, something they wanted to check out, you know, new trails or whatever the case was. And so I kind of grew up watching my dad plan trips with his friends or my uncles and, um, you know, and kind of do these types of things. And often, you know, the whole family went along. Um, so I always just had kind of like this curiosity about the world and, adventure you know being raised that way adventure has always been part of you know like my constitution you know it's just part of who i am and so um as i got older uh you know i um we actually had a subscription to national geographic magazine and um i always enjoyed flipping through those even if i didn't read the long articles you know i always enjoyed you know um, looking at pictures from different parts of the world and wanting to, I guess, kind of explore or go check out other parts of the world. And so I uh, just had, a, like my father and, and my mother, just had a real adventurous spirit. And so I think um, one of the first big things I did is when I got to college, um, I saw a uh, advertisement on one of the bulletin boards in my college. And it was about a study abroad, um, I guess the evening of information about study abroad opportunities. And I didn't even know what that was. And I thought, oh my gosh, I kind of looked at the flyer. I'm like, you could go to another country and study for a semester or a year and it would go towards your college credit but you would you know and I just thought that was a cool and so um <clears throat> the study abroad thing was something totally new to me but I just jumped into it and ended up going to Nepal in uh, for the fall semester of 1997 and that was just a phenomenal experience um and I think also like going to countries where there were people that looked like me it was really interesting because it was a it was when I really started to see like starting to accept myself a little more as a native person because in so many other spaces people would just stare or you know I didn't always feel welcome but like in Nepal everyone was like hey you look like a Sherpa girl from the Himalaya mountains and you know 
um, people would invite me into their homes. They were curious. And I mean, they'd hear about, you know, there's a there's American Indian with this group of students studying from America, you know, but she looks like a Sherpa. And, you know, it was just a really, I guess it was just kind of a cool time and place for me. And it opened me up to a lot more, um, I guess, a richer experience traveling. And so, um, so that was just awesome. I really enjoyed it. We trekked in the Himalayas for long, for like three weeks. We covered over 200 miles in three weeks. And that was incredible. I have so many amazing stories from that experience. We went, you know, did a lot of extended hiking trips. Um, and then we also did some river rafting. And so that's where I kind of got exposed to some of those type of things is through that. But definitely, um, you know, and I've also, I uh, went to, college in um, Arizona and I did a lot of outdoor recreational things. I really got into mountain biking there and took a triathlon course there and started doing triathlons for 10 years and, um, you know, just anything that got me outside, you know, I was active. That's kind of what I was all about. And so I just, I think I was just really lucky having a real curious mind and, um, you know, a sense of adventure and just always was really ready to kind of jump in with both feet and and try a lot of new things and um eventually lived in mongolia for a few years and did some really cool horseback trips and you know fishing trips there and lived in a little village so um you know got into snowboarding in high school <laughs> did that all over the rocky mountains through my college years and i don't know i just that's you know but it, Alaska, you know, home was always where my heart was. And, um, you know, after I had kids, I brought my kids home just so I could raise them on the land in our traditional life ways and teach them the things that I learned and hopefully provide my kids with the opportunity to build their own connection with the land that has really been my greatest strength and my medicine in life. So. I'm, I'm interested in that transition to college in particular. And what advice would you have for a young indigenous person that's thinking about college and, uh, and how to make that successful? <clears throat> well, I guess I would say that I think one of the first um, things I think that the hardest thing for uh, indigenous youth when looking at possibly going to college is just kind of taking that first step. Like, you know, I know from my own experience, how hard that can be leaving your community, your family, your friends, your culture, and, you know, um, leaving for college, especially if it's out of Alaska, but just taking that first step and, you know, um, giving it a try. And also, you know, when you're in college, just taking um, advantage of every opportunity, you know, like, joining like usually every school has uh, a Native American student club you know and in every school or every place that I was minus Nepal of course um, you know I always joined the Native American Student Association and um, you know that really helped with a lot of that you know missing um, I guess my indigenous culture friends family and and things like that but I think just like I guess um, 
really setting some goals and, and just getting over that first step and just know that you may feel like, okay, I'm going to be gone for four years at the very least, like, but home will always be here and you can always go home. You can get your education and return home to your people and use your education for the benefit of our communities, you know, and I think that's one thing that we always have to keep in mind even when the going gets tough and we're homesick and you know it's really hard in college like just always remember home will always be there like just get through it get your education and bring that education home for the people is really I think keeping your your mind focused on those goals is really important to succeeding yeah that's yeah just the idea of living a community and going out is um that's great advice this is Outdoor Explorer. I'm your host, Paul Tordat. We're talking with uh, Jody Potts, uh, Joseph, about her sort of incredible life of um, uh, going from a small village onto really a national stage. And we'll talk a more about that. Um, but let's talk about one thing you said that intrigued me is a triathlon. I guess I didn't know you were a triathlete. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, I got first introduced, you know, there's all these things that I would see on bulletins and be like, wow, that, that sounds really cool. And then, you know, kind of try to learn more about it. And one of them, I was um, 18 and I think I went to Beaver Sports here in Fairbanks and on the bulletin board, of course, checking out the bulletin board and there's an advertisement for the um, Achina Lakes Triathlon. Um, out here in Chena Lakes. And I was like, what's a triathlon? Wow, where you swim, bike, run? Oh my gosh, that sounds like a challenge made for me. You know, like I always loved a good challenge, you know? And so it was something I was always really interested, but being from the village, I actually, I could swim okay, but not really well. <laughs> I couldn't, I definitely, I don't think I could do like a full down and back lap in the pool, you know? Um, <clears throat> but I definitely ran a lot at the time. I was always out mountain biking. Um, so I just knew at some point I had to figure out this whole swim part of the triathlon thing. And it wasn't until I was in my, <clears throat> I think late twenties that I went ahead and I took a lap swim course at, um, college. And I remember, my first day in that class, um, not being able to even make it down and back without like, just, you know, just feeling like I was going to die, you know, and not really knowing anything about even pacing myself, like you wouldn't running, you know, in the water. <clears throat> and so, um, by the end of that semester, I got to where I could swim three kilometers in laps, just back and forth, back and forth, learn to pace myself, learn how to, you know, increase my speed and, everything so and then next thing I know there is actually a triathlon course at that university in Arizona went to college at Northern Arizona University and um, so I took that triathlon training class and then you know got a bike and you know a road bike and did my first race actually just on my Facebook um, memories uh, this morning um, that uh, my post was like I don't know, 2009, how long ago was that? Saying um, that tomorrow I'm um, competing in my first triathlon in Phoenix, I'm really nervous. And I was like, wow, that was that long ago, huh? So funny you should mention, but yeah, I just stuck with that sport. I really enjoyed the challenge and 
you know, um, enjoyed kind of the community of it. And of course, I was pretty much always the only brown person in that setting. So that was always really kind of a little daunting. But a lot of times if I didn't focus on that and just focused on my own, um, I guess, uh, what's um, my own performance then, you know, I didn't really care about what anyone else thought. And and I just keep going forward. Literally, it's all you can do. And so I eventually worked my way up, did more and more racing and worked my way up to all the distances. And in um, 2016, I did two uh, half Ironmans and then uh, worked my way up to a full Ironman. And, you know, I've got race bibs from around the world and um, in my little race bib collection that I always kept. And so, yeah, those were some of the best years and it was just really, um, I guess, exciting. I mean, I would get comments even here around Fairbanks in the pool, like literally people would, I'd be working hard doing my laps, you know, sometimes I'd swim for an hour and a half and then go run six miles, you know, and I'd be swimming. I'd, um, take a break or I'd finish my swim and I'd literally have people tell me like, wow, uh, what are you? And I'm like, what do you mean? What am I like? Uh, what do you mean? <laughs> and they were like, we didn't know natives, you know, are you native? And I'm like, yeah, I'm native. I'm from Eagle village and I say, wow, we didn't know natives could swim. And you know, a lot of stuff oh. like that, you know, like, or literally sometimes like they'd realize I was native and just say, wow, you're a good swimmer for a native. And I mean, how do you, how are you supposed to take that? Like, oh, thank you. know, so I got that almost every day swimming laps here in Fairbanks for years, you know? So, you know, you just have to try to be patient with people and, um, you know, not really feed into their stereotypes, but just overcome it. I think with grace and humility and, um, you know, just, uh, keep focusing on your own goals really. Was there a time Jody, when you thought, uh, maybe you thought all along that you were going to be, a role model that you could do this, that you could be um, an example for young people? Um, I mean, not, not really. I think in a lot of ways, I just was kind of um, just doing my own thing, doing what I guess um, provided me with joy. I mean, doing things that I enjoyed and, um, you know, I kind of just was kind of simple about it. Like I didn't really enjoy partying cause I didn't like a hangover. So, you know, I really would rather wake up early and go mountain bike 12 miles instead, or ride my horse instead, or go fishing or, you know, whatever the case was. And so it just wasn't, I guess I didn't really ever like step into this world as thinking I'm going to do something great and be a role model. I mean, I, I guess I don't even sometimes I still have a hard time kind of accepting that or seeing myself as that. Cause I just totally see myself as just a village girl, you know, and I just see myself as a Hanguichen person from Eagle and just kind of doing my own thing with a little bit of crazy mixed in, I guess. So <laughs> you have to be a little crazy to do Ironmans and, you know, I guess some of the things that I guess I've done, but um, yeah, I guess I haven't really thought of myself. And I think it's just kind of a reluctancy to, you know, be in leadership um, unless I really feel like, okay, this is, 
you know, I, I really need to speak up on whatever X, Y, Z, you know, environmental issues or, or, you know, um, diversifying the outdoors, but yeah. Yeah. We'll get to those. Um, I just think you're, you, whether you know that you are a role model and you, um, and you have a lot of courage, I think, uh, to do like, I, I, I'm doing an iron man. I'm like, yeah, no way. <laughs> run marathons. I've done 200 bike, 200 mile bike rides. I've done all all the pieces of it. But I'm like, wow, that takes a lot of courage right there to do that, and then to put yourself in a very white um, uh, culture and do that is something else. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Uh, and there's so much that I talk about. So at some point, you've um, also were are, are, have, are or have been a wilderness guide, also, correct? Yep. Yep. I think I've, um, you know, I, like I said, I grew up on the land and I grew up with a lot of, uh, I guess, um, with the skill set of just, you know, living on the land and knowing kind of how to take care of myself on the land and others and always went out in groups. But over the years, I found myself, you know, definitely guiding my children out since they were really young. And, um, <coughs> excuse me um uh I guess you know in a way I think um going out on the land a lot with my kids and then of course taking friends and stuff I mean and as much as I enjoy people and teaching I guess um you know just was kind of a natural fit for me to start guiding and um I did I did it kind of off and on over the years but in this uh, last year, um, I started working for a couple of, well, actually last few years, I started working for some uh, companies here in Fairbanks guiding. And it's just been just a thrill and a real joy. And also seeing some other, some new country that I otherwise might not even go venturing into myself. So it's been really cool. And when you're guiding, what, you talk about seeing new, new a trend, but you're bringing people in from all of usually rich white people, to be frank. Yeah. Um, yeah. And how does that work? I mean, how does that? Uh, uh, what is it? Is it a? Is it a? What What do you get out of that to keep going back for it? Well, I mean, I I really do. I am a people person. I really do enjoy people, and I enjoy you know sharing. Um, this experience, um, teaching and things like that. And so, um, you know, I also did my fair share of time in office and working in a, you know, a, a basic, you know, work setting. And it just was kind of hard on my spirit. And so, you know, guiding, I'm able to do what I love and make money and meet new people. And so for me, it kind of um, just, uh, I guess, like, covers a lot of bases for me, you know, and um, it's something I've always wanted, wanted to do. And um, I just, I really love it, actually. I really like guiding. Other, other things that I have you down for is uh, a tattoo, Christian tattoo practitioner, a dog uh -huh. musher, a snowboard instructor. Uh -huh. goes, the list goes on and on of the sort of outdoor things. Um, you want to talk to about the, the tattoo um, practicing a little bit? Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of indigenous people, if not every culture in Alaska and North America, um, 
have uh, tattoo practices. Actually, indigenous people around the world all had a traditional tattoo, tattoo practice. And, um, you know, with every culture or tribe, it had a different meaning or significance for different people in the community. And um, <coughs> for Gwich'in people um, <clears throat> and a lot of in Athabascans and Inupiaqs as well, or other tribes, Yupiks. Um, the practice of tattooing was kind of taken away from our people through colonization, you know, especially it was like the first identifiable thing that missionaries um, who kind of assumed control over the native people who are also falling ill to these new diseases and sick, you know, they were able to say like, hey, you keep practicing this heathen practice of tattooing or your ceremonies, there's going to be consequences. And so for native people, <clears throat> you know, it was um, something that kind of went away pretty quickly, right in the beginning of colonization here in Alaska. And <clears throat> um, to a point where some people still don't even believe that we had the practice of tattooing, but it's really well documented by a lot of the first explorers. Anyways, it was something I always wanted to do since I was pretty young. And it really took a lot of courage to kind of be one of the first people to step out and do that. Um, <clears throat> I can definitely say that, you know, a lot of the Nupiak and Yupik cultures were um, kind of, you know, breaking trail a little bit in this in the last, you know, 10 years or so, uh, maybe even less, and started to see a few Alaska Native women with this. And, you know, I knew that it was something that, um, I wanted to do and then my daughter got really interested and we had a lot of talks about it and um, my first tattoo I ever gave anyone was my daughter Kwana on her chin and it was her coming of age ceremony and you know it has really I think given her a new power strength and pride and who she is and not being ashamed of being native like um, and it's a really powerful powerful experience and um, then I needed, I wanted to find someone to tattoo me, but I wanted to keep it kind of old school and more traditional, like have it done within our own community. And I couldn't find anyone. And so eventually my son, my oldest son, Izzy, he was 16 at the time, he tattooed my chin. And since um, that time, I have um, been able to have the honor of women trusting me to tattoo them, and give them their traditional markings, whether they're Nupiak or other Gwich'ins or Koyakon women or girls. I mean, it's just been this powerful movement of our Native people reclaiming their identity. And really, um, it's been a powerful, powerful um, healing and really a good, strong medicine for all of us. Um, and so I'm just, uh, you know, of course, in any kind of setting where there's, <clears throat> you know, our tattooing practices is out in the public or in the media, I always just have to express like, these are, um, this is not a trend. This is definitely something that it was done by our people in ceremony and it was taken us because we were made to feel shame for being brown, for being who we are, for our culture, for our ceremonies. For, um, because, you know, this is um, a, a sacred right for our people. And I just uh, definitely want to add that to this conversation. And we definitely um, discourage cultural appropriation of our traditional tattooing practices. Yeah, I think it's um, great. And I, I, my day job at Alaska Pacific University, I've seen more and more um, women uh, uh, 
and tattoos and it's a fantastic thing. And I would say, add in, you mentioned your daughter, Kwana, for the listeners who aren't familiar with Kwana, has her own very successful career in modeling. Is that, that's right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you, I bet you're part of that. I am, very much. Um, we're going to get into sort of the youth thing a little bit uh, um, after our break. We'll have a break here in a few minutes. Um, let's talk about your children and um, and how that's, you've mentioned a couple of times, having them out on the land with you. Um, uh, talk about that a little bit, some of the trips you did with your children and um, how you raised them uh, to have that respect for the land and interest in what they're doing. Well, you know, there's definitely... Um, Somehow it just became my priority. Um, also, it was what I wanted to be doing, and I was a single parent. And so, you know, um, my kids are also happen to be my best friends. And so if I was, if I wanted to go do something in the outdoors, like they were definitely coming with me, no matter how old or young they were, you know. Yeah. And um, gosh, I can't even, I mean, they're always out with me in my dog sled from a young age, mushing dogs, even at night where they jump in my dog sled. And, um, <clears throat> you know, we would, uh, they'd fall asleep sometimes in my dog sled. Uh, they'd go with me to cut firewood and, you know, we'd fill their little kid dog sled up with firewood and they'd mush at home and they'd feel really good and accomplished about helping and, you know, really added to their self-worth and their confidence. But, you know, also, you know, I enjoyed snowboarding so much, um, you know, and uh, I started teaching my son Izzy uh, when he was seven and, you know, also his brother and sister as they got older. And so all my kids snowboard and um, they're all really good. I mean, they all quickly surpassed me, um, in my skill level. And, um, it's just, a, it's something we all really enjoy doing together. Like, I think all of these things, whether we're out canoeing somewhere and fishing or, you know, I mean, uh, paddle boarding or whatever it is. I mean, we just, we all, my kids and I just love every minute of doing that stuff together. And, um, yeah, I just feel really, really blessed. And I think one of the things is like at the time, you know, it's, it's really hard to afford all the equipment and all these experiences, but it was just something that I really made a priority. And I, I made happen one way or another, whether I was shopping at garage sales for, you know, little kid gear or hand-me-downs like my youngest son wore his brother and sister's hand-me-downs for years, you know, um, you know, buying used equipment and, you know, trying to make it happen where my kids would have, you know, quality enough gear where they'd be comfortable and not be cold or wet and have a miserable, miserable experience. And, you know, even just the fact of, you know, having the right nutrition on backpacking trips. So they um, keep their energy up and they're not miserable and tired, you know, so all those things were really, um, I, I had to, in order to do this um, well with my kids and make sure they have a good experience, like I had to be really intentional with, you know, um, you know, food for them, gear for them, and just make it a priority. So honestly, for years, we didn't have a TV because it wasn't my priority. Like I would rather, you know, spend this money getting us all snowboards than buying a TV, you know, or yeah. So um, I think that's, Gosh, I've had, my kids and I have had a lot of really fun, beautiful and wild adventures over the years. And, you know, um, as a single parent, 
also, you know, learning indigenous skills at a young age for my kids, you know, it was just me teaching them and, <clears throat> you know, as a single parent, there was, I didn't have a husband at the time to, you know, go out hunt for us or teach my boys. And so I did that because one, we needed the food. Um, and two, it was just, you know, um, I knew that they could do it. And so it just, I think it really, all those adventures together really bonded us even uh, more than, um, you know, yeah. It's just been a privilege to do all these cool things with my kids, you know. That's great. This is Paul Tordak. You're listening to Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media. I'm talking to Jody Potts Joseph. Uh, we'll take a short break and be uh, right back with uh, more, more with Jody. You're listening to Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media. Find the show anytime as a free podcast in the iTunes Store or connect with us online at alaskapublic.org. Welcome back to Outdoor Explorer. I'm your host, Paul Tordak. If you're just joining us, I have Jody Potts Joseph, uh, Han Kuchin, uh, from Eagle Village um, with us. And she's also uh, well known in the outdoor industry. She's a, uh, besides a mom, a subsistence hunter and fisherman, a tattoo artist, a dog musher, a snowboard instructor, a wilderness guide. She's also on the Alaska Wilderness League. Uh, she's also a North Face, if I get this right, Explorer Fund Council member. I think I got that right. And has also started a bunch of, um, uh, a couple different organizations and projects to and, um, increase diversity in the outdoors, which I'd like to turn to a little bit. Let's start, though, with um, the, uh, the Wilderness League. Um, what's your involvement there and your motivation to be involved with the Alaska Wilderness League? Well, um, so uh, the Alaska Wilderness League has partnered with um, the Gwich'in um, for years now, working to protect the Arctic Refuge um, from oil development. And, um, you know, it's something that I have, um, you know, of course, had a vested interest in for my life and um it's kind of been some of my life's work and so yeah I just was uh invited to be on that board and just um really enjoy that work um it's a great board and you know they do a lot of work on federal you know protecting federal public lands and um and and making sure that for the enjoyment of all so you know, it's, I think it's also, it, it feels good to bring kind of an indigenous voice and perspective in that space, um, you know, and make sure that we're also, um, I guess, kind of working really close to people who are 
also trying to protect some of these lands and these places because in a lot of ways uh, public lands and so you know there's um these uh, ideas together is a really important part of that work and, and it's if it's a little unusual it's great you're involved with them um do you want to talk a little bit sort of how the concept of wilderness you know, reflects um or supports or not your sort of indigenous values well, I guess, um, you know, the idea, I guess, of wilderness and how it might align with indigenous values is, you know, in a lot of ways, the wilderness is really about just keeping this land pristine and, you know, how, you know, people are separate. But I guess from an indigenous point of view, like, we definitely feel like we are a part of the land and we have this connection. And while we may have maybe different, I guess, motivators on protecting a place, um, we also can see where we have also the same goals, even though it might have like a little different motivator. Um, and so I guess, <coughs> I'm so sorry about all the coughing. Um, so I guess I just really, in a lot of ways, try to look at our um, joint interests in these things and also, um, you know, remind people that Indigenous people are a part of this landscape. And it's not just untouched wilderness or pristine wilderness. Like we have a value and a, and a meaning um, to these places. And, um, you know, really, I'd, I really sometimes would like to see a lot more indigenous leading uh, enslavement of some of these um, federal public lands. I think that that's a direction that um, really we should be going. Um, and so uh, definitely uh, worth exploring that and, um, you know, kind of bringing in some of those ideas into these spaces is really important. Yeah, Jody, we're having a little bit of a, what I call the Ewok voice once in a while, but yeah, I think having those voices and that discussion, I, there's um, uh, one of our uh, elders here at APU um, talk about the, uh, the native land as being everywhere. And it's really fascinating for someone who's spent 30, almost 40 years trouncing around and the what you know, I would call wilderness in Alaska to you know, come to this realization that everywhere I've been has been someone else's stomping ground or home for yeah. thousands of years. You know, it's, it's been yeah. a real eye opener for me and to really start to learn those place names and understand those stories, I think is a really important part of anybody being in the outdoors. Yep, everywhere you go on Turtle Island, also known as North America, is native land, you know, and, you know, we had, um, there's significant meaning to each of these places all over and, um, yeah, it's just, I think the way that um, this world is kind of the direction the world has um, gone, I think, that indigenous people have a lot of the issues and you know the state of affairs there's um indigenous uh, voices and folks have answers to a lot of today's problems especially pertaining to um uh, public lands yeah and the idea of sustainability and being able to be 
uh, and have a culture for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years and be successful and looking at maybe what Western culture is doing, which doesn't seem very sustainable, then there's a lot to be learned. Yep, correct. Um, now you have some, um, uh, a few initiatives going. Do you want to talk about those? I'm interested in them. Just the idea of increasing uh, diversity in, uh, in the outdoor um, field, not just uh, not only the profession, but just participants. How are you um, yeah. uh, going about that? Yeah, so, you know, um, as I stated earlier, you know, a lot of times um, my kids and I um, are a lot of the only people of color in a lot of these spaces in the outdoor recreation world. And I've also recognized that um, outdoor recreation, as well as being skilled in our traditional way of life, both of these two ways of being on the land or in the outdoors are equally of importance to me and equally provide to my health and well-being. And so um, my kids and I were talking because we we're kind of... Um, pretty much the only native folks going up to our local ski spot here in Fairbanks called Ski Land. And so we decided, hey, let's provide a free snowboard clinic for native youth and see if anyone would be interested in learning snowboarding. And so um, my kids and I did a free snowboard clinic and Ski Land was really excited. You know, um, we work things out with Ski Land and um, we were able to teach uh, quite a number of native youth how to snowboard and you know pretty soon you know there were quite a few uh of them going back because they enjoyed it so much and you know the families just talked about how much fun that these kids are having and so you know a lot of it is like opening up the opportunity i feel really blessed and privileged as a native person you know for having access to snowboarding and some of these other things um and you know, a lot of people of color really don't have access and there are a number of barriers that exist in the outdoor recreation world. And, um, you know, really a big part of me joining, um, you know, the North Face Explore Fund Council was um, to try to help, I guess, um, bring an indigenous voice to um, changing some of those, I guess, um, barriers and issues um, for people of color in the outdoor recreation world. And so, you know, we, <clears throat> along with several other um, <coughs> diverse folks, <coughs> we worked together um, with the North Face Explore Fund Council and just came up with some great initiatives and, you know, some, um, I guess, some guidelines and um, things that the North will encourage others is movement um, in outdoor recreation now and trying to be more equitable in the outdoors, more welcoming. And, you know, it's not just a lot of these things are real elitist. Like you have to have money, you have to have the access and really the privilege to be in these places and enjoy these opportunities. And, you know, it just doesn't exist for a lot of folks. And so um, it's really been 
just one of the art of the North Face Explore Fun Count. Um, really proud of the collective work. I mean, they're just, it was an awesome, awesome group. And, you know, I just really commend the North Face on really doing the work, not just talking about it, but they did the work and they also put in the money at the end of, um, you know, this, uh, these council meetings, we're able to um, grant out up to seven million of North Face grant funds from the Explore Fund Council to organizations doing the work, uh, you know, Black Packers, um, you know, Native Outdoors, and all these organizations um, that are helping um, bring more diversity, equity, and, you know, um, opportunity for all people whether you know whatever you however uh someone might identify or you know even for folks that um you know might not be as able-bodied uh, organizations that are um, trying to bring uh, outdoor recreation opportunities to all kinds of folks and it's just been really a real powerful blessing in my life to be a part of it so i'm really thankful for that opportunity and really the work that the north face has committed to and you you cut out there for a minute but did you say seven million dollars is that did i get yeah. that right wow that's seven that's million impressive. dollars that's yeah, really impressive yeah. yeah yep and that people should look that up it's a real star-studded um group of people outdoor um people so uh, uh that's a great thing that you're on there and representing alaska for us and, and, and our indigenous populations and people and so you have this um one initiative um and how you know again like one we talked about earlier in the show a little bit about uh, as a um, young person advice for a young indigenous person in alaska um, what kind of advice would you give them to um if they're interested in the path you've taken um yeah, what, what kind of advice would you give them if they're interested in, I apologize, in, in oh, what the path? Yeah, the path that you've taken are becoming an outdoor professional and becoming more engaged in the outdoor oh. or, or, or conservation work, one of the two. I think that really um, those are somewhat tied together. Like my work in, I guess, conservation or, you know, being a indigenous land protector is really um, quite rooted in the fact that I was raised on the land and my connection to the land is really what inspires me and motivates me to, <clears throat> um, to do the work in trying to protect um, our lands and way of life really. And so I would just um, tell young people like, <clears throat> spend time out on the land and with your elders and, and people that are, you know, culture bearers for one, especially while you're home, while you're in high school, you know, go help elders cut wood or run dogs or hunting or learn those skills, you know, because those will be things that you carry with you and you can pass down to your children. Um, and in the course of, you know, indigenous skill building or learning the culture, um, you know, it's inevitable that you'll build a connection to the land. And, you know, I think that that's the most important is really, you know, um, getting that time on the land. And, you know, you, you begin to also learn more about yourself in that space as well as a native person. You know, the other thing is don't be afraid to try new things, you know, um, just, uh, 
you know, and if, if it's something you want to do, like, I think you just have to kind of make it a priority. Like I remember, you know, wanting to do more backpacking, but I didn't have like the backpackers type sleeping bag. Um, and I worked at a little cafe in my college. Um, and I decided, okay, I'm going to not spend any of my tip money. I'm going to save up my tips until I have enough for this $200, you know, uh, backpacker sleeping bag, you know? And so it took me, you know, a couple weeks and I was able to save up all my tip money. And, you know, it was just like kind of the things that I really wanted to do, like set goals and, um, and really kind of work towards them and, and, you'll prioritize what's important to you, you know? And so I guess for me, it was important to have these indigenous skills, you know, to be able to be a hunter and fisherman, but I was blessed and really fortunate to be raised in that. Um, but then in the outdoor recreation world, um, you know, if you're a young person and you go to college, there are so many cool opportunities out there. Um, you know, and sometimes it'd be uncomfortable because like I said, I'd be the only brown person in those settings, but, you know, <clears throat> look for organizations um, that are doing the work. There are quite a few now um, <clears throat> that are trying to teach outdoor recreation skills, offer outdoor recreation um, you know, equipment so they can get out and have these experiences or, you know, offering clinics. And so there are a lot of organizations in every state that are doing, um, you know, a lot more training and providing opportunities for folks. So seek those opportunities and, and, you know, sometimes we can be really shy, especially coming from a little village, um, and going out to this big world, but, ultimately you kind of have to get over being shy and, you know, um, just step out into the world of adventure. Yeah, you sure have done that. Uh, this is uh, Outdoor Explorer, Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Paul Tordat. We're talking with Jody Potts-Joseph about her um, experiences and career um, being an indigenous woman in the outdoor industry uh, profession. When you moved from, like I said, when you, you, you have this, um, my feeling is that you have this transition between your subsistence lifestyle and particularly the guiding aspect, which tends to be a very, uh, like leave no trace, um, very different than the subsistence lifestyle. Um, how do you manage that transition? Well, I guess in a lot of ways, the way I do things as an indigenous person, you don't really see much of my trace on the land as it is. You know, when I go out hunting, I'm not taking a four wheeler and, you know, tearing up the land and dragging caribou out. I see that a lot in, uh, with the hunters, um, like out here on the 40 mile caribou hunt on the Steese or other areas. Um, I would say that a lot of it's very similar because my ways of being out on the land as a native person really is pretty much leave no trace. Um, so I wouldn't say that there's a lot of difference there, but also I'm a part of the land when I'm out there, um, you know, practicing our subsistence way of life or being just present on the land as a native person. Um, it's, uh, I'm just a part of the landscape, you know? 
And, you know, out of respect of that landscape, I'm not trashing it. You know, it's not our indigenous way to trash the land or disrespect it, you know. Um, you know, we have this way of being on the land and this relationship that, you know, there's, um, our people have lessons and, you know, we have a responsibility to, to honor that. And so in as much as I can, um, I try to follow those old teachings of how we're supposed to be in right relationship with the land. And um, so I think that's even better than leave no trace really. Yeah, yeah, it, it is for sure. What, uh, let's change subjects a little bit. Uh, you mentioned at the break that um, you just gotten onto the Doyon Board of Directors. That's a that's a bit a, a different direction for you, I, I'll bet. I mean, maybe, but not really. I mean, it's serving my people, um, you know, of the Doyon region, and you know, our people voted me in, and um, I think that they know the values that I hold are our traditional values, and um, and so, you know, I'm just happy to serve um, my people and our lands in any capacity in any way that I can. And I just feel like, you know, if the people voted me in, I definitely have something to offer with our regional corporation and just really excited about the opportunities there and what I can learn, but also what I can share. So it's really exciting time. Another um, initiative uh, that I don't know much about is uh, data for indigenous justice. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So <clears throat> this uh, this organization that was recently founded like a year ago um, is really about the epidemic of missing and murdered Indigenous women. Mm -hmm. And what data for Indigenous justice specifically does is really look at indigenizing data. But that is truly reflective of missing Native women that we have out there needed correctly or and, and um, yeah just I guess gaps and different um, challenges with uh, data collection and distribution and so data for Indigenous justice is really looking at how to um, remove some of these gaps and barriers and also really be reflective of indigenizing data um, and and really being able to help with um, solutions to some of the um, you know the issues with missing and murdered Indigenous women. So um, yeah, they're doing really great work. Our um, executive director uh, Charlene is just you know phenomenal. She's brilliant, and um, you know we've been able to release some reports that I think can be really helpful with. Um, with creating solutions and um, really having a positive end result, so. That's fantastic. Uh, this is Outdoor Explorer, I'm your host Paul Tordat. Um, we're wrapping up here, uh, Jody. Uh, I was looking at your, um, some of your social media, your Facebook, and you um, are out there, you're doing stuff, which is great. And I, I, I especially, I, I was cleaning on the dog machine. It seemed like we just got off a dog machine where you've been trying to line up this interview for a while, but you're always off out there doing it, which is great. <laughs> um, you want to talk about your latest trip a little bit? Like when you're doing these uh, dog machine trips, like what's it like and where, where, do you, where are you going and 
um, yeah. talk us through one of those trips. <laughs> well, I, I tell you what, like, there's no happier place for me than being on the Yukon River mushing my dogs. And especially if I'm out there with my husband and my son and, you know, our kids, uh, friends. I mean, it's just nothing better. Um, but yeah, I'm, I often am off grid mushing dogs on the Yukon River. Um, I moved to the village to see my husband to have place fish camp. <clears throat> I'm about 20 miles away from the village. And so, we're often out running dogs um, and uh, yeah, and I, I do some guided trips and I did a few trips for um, Arctic winter adventures based out of Fox. Um, and then um, done a few trips this winter. Um, my husband and I guided a few trips together and, you know, it's just really, we really enjoy doing this work together. I mean, my husband is just a great native outdoorsman himself and he provides snow machine support, just endless support and help. And, you know, I'm able to take folks out and uh, just had a really great women's dog mushing trip uh, about a month and a half ago. It was just, just really wonderful and had such a good time. And so just, it's great, you know, um, I guess taking people out and, you know, uh, I, being able to introduce just the joy that, you know, being around, you know, sled dogs and out on the trail. I mean, it's just kind of incomparable and just being able to share that experience with folks and, you know, um, you know, the memories and the joy that they get out of it is really quite fun, but it's definitely a lot of work. Um, you know, you're working like a good 18 hours out of the day, you know, yeah but it's, it's worth it for sure. And I'm, I really enjoy doing it and I really look forward to doing it more in the next couple seasons coming up. Great. Well, Jody, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening. I tell my guest, Jody Potts-Joseph. Jody co-founded Native Youth Outdoors in 2021 with her two children. Is board secretary of the Alaska Wilderness League, is a wilderness guide, co-founded and is president of the Data for Indigenous Justice, is on the board of Doyon Corporation, and is a member of North Face's Explorer Fund Council that supports initiatives to increase diversity in the outdoors. Links to these and other programs can be found on the show's Outdoor Explorer website. Finally, a big thanks to our producer, Eric Bork. This is your host, Paul Tordock, and from all the hosts at Outdoor Explorer, I encourage others to get outside, and we'll see you on the trails. Outdoor Explorer is a production of KSKA Public Radio in Anchorage, Alaska. Theme music is by Portugal, the man. Views expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect the station or its underwriters. You can find Outdoor Explorer on Facebook and in your favorite podcast app. To see what's coming up on Outdoor Explorer and add your voice to the conversation, go to our website at alaskapublic.org. Life Informed, this is Alaska Public Media.